everybody. Welcome to the Hallmarkies podcast. I'm so excited today to bring you another interview. We love talking to Hallmark writers and today we have a, another chance to talk with a Hallmark writer. We're talking with uh, writer Topher Payne today and this is going to be really fun. I'm really thrilled. I'm Rachel and Topher, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so what we like to do is to ask our guests to introduce yourself and tell us what inspired you to become a writer. Um, well, I grew up in Mississippi, and um, I come from a family of very, very gifted storytellers. Um, none of them were foolish enough to try to make a living at it, but... Um, that was how I learned my family history, you know, is, um, is through stories. And I was raised in the Methodist church where everything I learned about kind of our way of being in the world was taught through parables. And so storytelling was just so steeped in the culture that I was raised in. I, I don't think, um, that's unique to the South, but I think Southerners are particularly good at it. Yeah. And when I, and so growing up, whenever I was trying to make sense out of something, I tended to put it to paper. And I believe writing is um, an engine for teaching yourself empathy, teaching yourself compassion, and considering the perspective of somebody in a different pair of shoes. And that kind of naturally evolved into, as I started, as my questions started to get more complex, I wanted to take those questions out into the world. And that led me to the first stage of my career as a playwright. And I premiered my first play when I was 21. Wow. And, um, and then kept right on going. That's really amazing. You first play at 21. That's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> was it just your it's school? It's all I knew or? how to do. Or, no, I, um, I started as a, uh, professionally started as a technician in theater. Uh -huh. And so I was working in electrics, building sets, painting sets, um, really anything that would let me do. And I did that for two years in Mississippi, uh, starting when I was 17. And when I was 19, I came to Atlanta hoping to find my fortune in theater. And when you're 19 years old, you can believe that's possible. Mm -hmm. and, then, uh, and then got mixed up with a really great group of storytellers here in town and, and wanted to start telling my own stories. And I was surrounded with people who were telling me yes. Um, mm -hmm. which is how all amazing things happen, you know? Right, right. And, um, and so I, my first play was, um, you know, I actually went back and reread it a couple of years ago, and it charitably showed a lot of promise. <laughs> but, when, <laughs> yeah. but I tell students now, you know, how do you write a good script? You write a bad script and make it better. Right. And, um, and just keep working at it because as, I have found editing a work is much harder than generating the first draft of it. Yeah. And so you just power through that first draft and recognize, eh, the first draft is always going to be, you know, a, just a complete unmitigated disappointment. And so you get that <laughs> out of the way and then you keep going. <laughs> yeah. I, that's like the gift of uh, NaNoWriMo is, uh, is just kind of, at least for me is that just getting that first idea out on some kind of paper and yeah just blah <laughs> get it out there and then no yeah. but that's precisely it and yeah. you know and now with um and with exercises like that that simply prioritize your right to write yeah um because i didn't receive any formal training in this you know i just um, I was a teenager that showed up in a building where they tell stories and asked if I could play. Yeah. And yeah. certainly in the early years of my career, that was something I struggled with, that there were people who, from my perception, um, it came easier to, or they were more profound. They had 
more lived in experience or whatever excuse you want to tell yourself to believe you don't deserve what you want. And getting on the other side of that and just recognizing I absolutely have the right to write, Mm -hmm. um, as we all do. And, um, and stories are the engine that generate compassion. Yeah. And you never know where Which you're... kind of naturally led yeah. me to writing the sort of movies I write now, you know? Yeah. And you never know, yeah, where your journey will take you. My sister, she, you know, long wanted to be kind of more of a fantasy type of author, young adult kind of author. And she ended up, she's re- ended up writing a uh, picture stories picture books and that's where she's found kind of a niche and so uh you know life's kind of it's it's interesting but uh, i like what you said about growing up on the south it reminds me of uh, an interview with uh, author lee smith where she said that the great thing about about the south is not that they can tell a good story but they can make anything into a story a good story <laughs> <laughs> anything that happens <laughs> Yeah, she was saying she's like, and if a woman is not wearing a very nice dress, it's bless her heart. <laughs> bless her heart. Bless but her then heart. her hair looks so good. But yeah, her that's hair right. Looks so good. <laughs> <laughs> you always find the compliment you can couch yeah. within. <laughs> that's really funny. So, how did you end up writing for Hallmark? How did that happen? It was um, much to my surprise. <laughs> I um, um, I had a play that uh, went off Broadway in 2015 uh, called Perfect Arrangement, and it was it was that perfect confluence of events. You know, you never know who's going to see your work, who you know how it's going to reach people, and when the right people will be in the right room at the right time. And with that production, uh, we got. Um, some really solid reviews out of it and started getting some positive attention. And that led to me um, developing a relationship with my, who would eventually become my manager, Scott Alley. And he brought me out to LA um, to do a series of meetings just to get to know people and let them get to know me. I hadn't written in the medium before, but I love telling stories and would love to have, love to have the chance to reach a new audience. So we did a lot of meetings on that trip, and I, thanks to my mother and my big sister, had seen a lot of Hallmark Christmas movies. Um, Every time I go home to Mississippi, that's just, it's what's playing in the background the entire time I'm there. And I asked Scott if he could set me up with a conversation with Hallmark. I was really, really interested, more than anything else, to just have a conversation with the people who decide what stories are told there uh-huh. about what their priorities are as storytellers. Um, I think because I had such low expectations coming out for the trip, you know, I mean, I had not previously expected to be moving into television at that particular moment in my career. And I just saw it as an opportunity to sit down with people and get some legit answers on why they tell the stories they tell. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was first, I was Scott's first client to request a meeting at Hallmark, um, which I thought was nuts because if you're looking for work, they make a lot of movies. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> and, that's true. Um, and then that conversation at Hallmark um, ended up being the most like just special experience of that trip um because yeah we talked about hallmark movies and we talked about our plays but we spent most of the time talking about the hallmark audience and what their goals are in telling stories to that audience and and there was a lot of crossover with what hallmark's priorities were and what my priorities are as a storyteller Mm -hmm. Um, going back again to that, that idea of stories being a chance to build empathy and build compassion. Yeah. And, and so it was just a really great conversation. Yeah. And, um, and so this was in the spring of 2016 and my plan was I was going to spend the summer 
learning how to write for television. And, um, you know, I figure I taught myself how to write plays. I can, talk my, I can teach myself how to write screenplays. And, um, and so I said I would be available um, to take a project in the fall if that was something that, that was interesting to them. And two weeks later, they needed a writer to step in and do a rewrite on an existing uh, piece that they already had in development and opportunity knocked. And they said, you know, we know you said you weren't available till September, but if you want to start today, you can. And that became my summer prints, my first Hallmark movie. Uh And so I taught myself how to write it as I was writing it. So had you heard of all, like, had you watched them? Did you know what the brand kind of was? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Again, thanks to mama and my big sister, Shannon, um, <laughs> who were big, big fans, big, big fans. And, and, you know, my sister um, has two sons, both under age 13 and Hallmark is, a really good thing to have on TV in the background that you as a parent don't have to check in on. Right. Um, and, and so when we're all gathering for the holidays and you just kind of have that background noise um, and then like people perch on the sofa and watch for 20 minutes, but then they get sucked in and suddenly the whole family's watching a movie that's Hallmark at their house. Yeah. <laughs> and so I had been sucked into many a Lacey Chabert movie before <laughs> I came in. Um, and, and I could definitely see that, you know, there were, there were some story beats that I could see were consistent in their storytelling. There were, um, you know, the things that people jokingly call the Hallmark formula and I call the Hallmark recipe. Um, and, and so I could see what was going on there. And that was really where I wanted to get to the root of the people making the decisions about these stories and specifically why the stories are told the way they're told and, and what opportunities we could have to innovate within that. Uh Yeah. Interesting. So yeah, I, I know what you mean about them being a kind of background uh, movies. Even, even I who, you know, love them and talk about them all the time. Like I, you know, I'll just have, I'll have them on sometimes it's just his background to just kind of relax and, and just, I don't know, there's just something really sweet and really pleasant about them. And I don't know, they make you like, even, I feel like we, even their flaws are somehow sort of charming. Usually, <laughs> Yeah. There's because there are quirks to the storytelling that, yeah. um, yeah, there are consistent story beats that we see again and again. Yeah. Um, and what becomes del- what becomes a delightful challenge for me as a writer um, is knowing, yeah, there's a couple of things. You know, you have 85 minutes to tell this story when you cut out yeah. commercials. And so I need to, as a writer, introduce you to the world these characters inhabit, introduce you to the problem, develop, you know, that first encounter of the guy and the girl and then tell you a complete satisfying story of courtship um, over the course of 85 minutes. And we're going to be taking eight breaks in the midst of that where I've got to leave you with something that then will bring you back after the commercial break. Um, And so it does lend itself to a certain recipe for success. Um, These are, you know, um, these are the established um, kind of touchstones that you can hit that's going to get you where you need to get to get you room to tell your story. Yeah. Um, so in the first 20 minutes, the following things need to happen or you're not going to get where you need to go. And so when we see repetition of that, that's kind of the logic behind it is I've got to cover a certain amount of ground so that I can tell you the story that's really important for me to tell. Yeah. Well, and people act like a formula is a bad thing. And I disagree. I think that uninspired formula is a bad thing, but yeah. I, I think that sometimes a formula can actually give 
a writer and a director a little bit more sort of room to kind of play where they don't have to reinvent the wheel with every movie and that's exactly it yeah yeah and and within that like knowing that i am going to be doing that how can i still surprise you right um we uh i had a wonderful producer i'm working with again on another project on a gift to remember and we knew that we were going to be hitting a lot of those expected story beats and then deliberately with great intention finding ways to turn those expectations ever so slightly in a different direction um which i think is immensely satisfying right yeah i mean that's why i personally think the like for instance the marvel movies are better in my opinion than the star wars movies because i feel like with the star wars movies it's just been kind of left to the director to sort of figure it out for each one one's a war movie one's a you know whatever and that's hard to do whereas like the marvel movies they got it they got the plan now taika watiti can come in and do his little flair to the formula and joss whedon can do his little flair to the formula and whatever it might be and so it makes for a really satisfying experience because you you know what you're sitting down to watch and at least in my opinion and they know how to execute it well they're not trying to do anything other than what they're doing and i think that's hallmark yeah i think that's an incredible example because you look at two movies like captain america the winter soldier versus black panther which were both incredibly satisfying movies but um existing in very different storytelling spaces even as they're hitting a lot of the same beats yeah um and um you know i mean you can look at shakespeare plays and see the consistent story beats that are hit um and it doesn't make each one in isolation any less satisfying yeah um i find what really makes the difference between a story well told or not is is this group of storytellers trying to communicate something that matters to them yeah yeah and that is absolutely achievable um within the hallmark recipe um it it kind of is the hallmark recipe yeah well and it's so hard too with with romantic stories is that so much of it is almost without outside of anyone's control because it's just an an intangible (laughs) chemistry because you can have just like in dating you can have like somebody on paper that is perfect for you and that you should get along with great and then you go on you know you go on a couple dates with them and it's like don't like this doesn't work (laughs) at all it's like what and that's how it's sometimes gonna be with romantic comedies it's like all the pieces (laughs) these people this should work but i'm just not feeling it like it's just not and and that 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 must be very frustrating because how can you plan for that you can't all you can do is you try your best to put people together that you think will have that chemistry and then hope it works because <laughs> that's a right. huge part of these movies working yeah and and i think again it goes back to do i believe that that what the story is telling me is important to this character do i believe love to come in on female characters with the issue of likability yeah which is a horrible horrible trigger for me as a writer i don't care if my female lead is likable what i care about is do you care about her um because we are all achingly human and flawed and in storytelling you want to see um, a character that you care about make mistakes along the way, mm. learn from those mistakes, and grow. And that means that at the beginning of our story, then the central characters that we're focusing on are going to be a little flawed because they right. have room to grow. And I love exploring that. And I also think that serves as an assist for the actors playing the roles because it gives them something to hang their hat on. She starts here. She ends here. Okay. Now I know what I'm doing with this. You know what I mean? Yes. Well, here's my theory on that is that I think everybody's trying to be pride and prejudice because, of course, (laughs) it's pride and prejudice, 
But the thing that people forget about Pride and Prejudice is that is that Lizzie and Darcy are both shown to be beloved by everybody else in their life. They just don't happen to like each other. And, and yeah. I, that's what's missing a lot of times in this is that you'll have people that are just hateful and you just don't like them because they're not yeah. nice people. And, and so you're not really rooting for them. So then when they get together at the end, you're just like, eh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, I've, I've long said that I think that every romantic comedy is either based on Taming of the Shrew or Pride and Prejudice. It's either some kind of, I, it's some kind of bet <laughs> or gimmick, you know, kind of a thing, like got to write an article, yep. got to whatever, like Taming <laughs> of the Shrew, or they're trying to be Pride and Prejudice where they just, you know, they hate each other, but they really are meant for each other. And I think with Taming of the Shrew, you have to be either really funny to make that kind of gimmick premise pay off. Yep. Like, like Greek Wedding, I think, is, is a great one where it was just a real gimmick, but it was so funny that it worked for me. Uh, or uh, <laughs> to make that one work, there's so many of them that don't work, though, that are trying that. Some kind of bet or some kind of thing like that where you're just like, uh. And, right. And there's, you know, and there's that, that vein of people that are trying to write a Hepburn and Tracy yeah. crackling little uh, unexpected romance, and they just end up writing two miserable people that are, like, sniping at each other the whole time. <laughs> I'm like, well, I don't, I mean, I guess I think you deserve each other, but not in the way you intended. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You have to make good use of your best friend character. It's a very important yeah. character. Very and that's what's so great about, like, in my opinion, my favorite writer in the whole world is Nora Ephron. She was just amazing to me. I know she had her her flops, but I just love her writing. And and if you think about something like You've Got Mail, which so many people try to copy and do terribly, uh, is yep. that both Joe and Kathleen both had friends, BFF friends, to talk to. And so you got to know them and they got to know each other through the emails that you got to hear. So you got to hear their true self and they just didn't get along as business people, which is totally understandable, right. but that's not who they really are. And exactly. And so I just feel like 99% of the people that try to do, you've got mail totally miss uh, and you could, you know, you say shop around the corner as well, but I don't know. They just totally miss that core of they are they are defining themselves by their jobs for the very beginning mm -hmm. of the movie. That's who they are, and then by the end they realize that's not who they are, and the person that they were when they were talking to each other in the chat room. That's who they really are and exactly yeah so and plus i mean just nora efron's hilarious her she's so oh funny. my gosh and i just love her writing so much but uh but anyway yeah i i completely agree with you i i think that uh the i don't know the i think that yes because it's predictable is not necessarily a flaw uh, because they're unlikable is not necessarily a flaw all that's saying i think what people say it's unlikable is is because they don't have that uh because they're kept the antagonist sort of in that thing too long in the we are not given or, the opportunity yeah. to forge an emotional connection yeah and and if you're not given the opportunity to forge an emotional investment um, and care about what they care about, yeah. even if they're making terrible choices. I mean, good Lord, think <laughs> of like the age of the anti-hero on television right. where you can have characters like Don Draper or, you know, Glenn Close on damages, just real monsters. <laughs> but right. um, they give us the opportunity to understand the explanation behind the approach even if we as an audience are saying please don't make that choice um right. but then we're also really satisfied when they do right. and yeah. 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 as long as i'm invested in the reasons behind it as long as i feel like i understand this person as a complete human 
um, which is where the best friend character yeah. or, you know, the like sympathetic boss or somebody's got a great mom, when you've got that opportunity to present a more complex portrait of who this person is, yeah. well, then you can sign up for it because you care. Yeah. A great example of that in romantic comedy world is love and friendship with Stillman, mm-hmm. you know, cause, the, mm-hmm. cause she's terrible. She's a terrible human being, but like you oh, completely yeah. <laughs> understand where she's coming from. And she's literally making every single person in her life better and making better choices than all of them would ever make. So you can't really be that mad at her because she's have you seen um russian doll on netflix yet no i've heard really good things but i haven't seen oh my god it's so good but what's (laughs) what's amazing is in the midst of this very very high concept show yeah at the core of it it's about natasha leon's character just trying to forge an authentic connection with another person Uh and and how much she gets in her own way in the process of that. Yeah. Um, and she's reliving the same night of her life over and over and over um, until, until she's actually able to break through the same mistakes she's been making her entire adult life. Yeah. And, um, and what makes it awesome um, isn't, the high concept or like, you know, all that Netflix money they throw at it, but all that helps. What makes it awesome, what makes you keep coming back is that you are so invested in her getting this right, uh-huh. you know? And I love that. I love a story that engages me that way. That's really cool. Well, so you said your first movie, My Summer Prince. So you did, it was basically a, a, a complete rewrite on that, basically, that you did? or Yeah. Yeah, I did a complete rewrite on that. And then um, came in on uh, broad, Broadcasting Christmas with the same producer and director immediately after we finished My Summer Prince. Oh, wow. Um, so... And, my summer prints. No, go ahead. My summer prints. Did you get to be on set for that at all, or anything like that, or was it? Yes, I did. You I did? even have a little cameo in it. If you watch, there's an elevator scene, and the tourist in the elevator is your screenwriter. And oh, <laughs> well, um, I uh, yeah. you have been in our neck of the woods then, because we. I, yes. I'm from. I'm from Utah, so. <laughs> Oh, it's so beautiful out there. Yeah. I tell you, Utah in the summer doesn't get nearly enough credit. It is beautiful out there in the summer. And um, so, yeah, I got to be on set for that with Taylor Cole and Jack Turner and uh, Marina Sirtis and Lauren Hawley and I are um, direct message buddies on Twitter now, constantly shooting back and forth. (laughs) (laughs) And it it was the best possible set of circumstances um peter sullivan my director on that film and my producers knew that this was my first time at that and their patience and generosity of spirit in that process knowing we have an experienced storyteller who is just learning a new way to tell stories right um and they their guidance through that process i said i owe them immensely um but that's that ended up becoming kind of the defining characteristic of most of my professional relationship with hallmark is they choose good people to work with um who are there for the right reasons and everybody is lifting everybody else up and so that was an amazing set to be on and, and such a tremendous first experience. That's really, really great. Yeah, I haven't heard anything different from any, I mean, all these interviews, not that it, I doubt someone would be coming on our podcast and be like, oh, it was horrible. But still, <laughs> but still, I, I just, I, everything I've read and everything I, I mean, in the era of Me Too and all that stuff, the fact that we haven't had, you know, too many stories about, you know, women being treated badly on Hallmark or anything like that. Like we just, it's all been like pretty positive. I, they, I, I mean, I don't know the, 
there's a few little things here and there, but for the most part, I've been so impressed with everybody's experience seems to be really positive and that makes me happy. And, and it's really cool that you got to work with Peter Sullivan twice there and yeah. start you off. I mean, and that guy, like, yeah. I mean, if you want an education on how a Hallmark movie works, Peter is a great man to sit across from. Yeah. And, um, but yeah. And then we, I signed for Broadcasting Christmas the day after my Summer Prince premiere. Mm. And, um, and so I went from never having written a movie to having written two movies inside of a year. And, um, and then with Melissa and Dean and Jack A, who is one of the funniest people I have ever been in the same room with. Yes. <laughs> um, and it was just, you know, we shoot fast. I think, you know, I don't feel like I'm telling a tale out of school there. These movies are made fast. Yes. And um, from inception of the script to final broadcast edit, it is unparalleled on television how quickly they are able to generate these things. And it's because they have very, very experienced people who know what they're doing and they keep a joyful set. Yeah. And I know from my experience in doing theater um, that if you do not run a positive room, then you're never going to get the product you're looking for. Not really. Um, nobody yeah. wants to feel like working with you is something they survived. And, and I know that there are plenty of people that, you know, we put in that category of tortured geniuses who are worth the trouble. Um, And I think, and I think that mindset is exactly what leads us to situations like the Me Too movement. Um, When you start making allowances for artists that, that do not prioritize being good people, um, then once we make room for that, there will be consequences. And it's been a great blessing in my life that so far, not the closest piece of wood, <laughs> I haven't encountered yeah. a set where we make those kinds of allowances. Right. And I haven't encountered leadership that believes in that idea. Um, because I think that that's a recipe for getting messy real quick. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Is there, so do you have any differences in sort of your mindset of writing a Christmas movie like Broadcasting Christmas versus a non-Christmas movie? All right, I'm going to be completely candid. (laughs) (laughs) The Christmas movies um, are, are more of a creative challenge than the non-Christmas movie. Uh And the reason for that is because there are only so many things people do at Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) And they Uh. have made 200 Christmas movies. (laughs) Um, I am, and I say that as a writer who is in process (laughs) on a Christmas movie right now while it's 75 degrees outside. (laughs) Um, but because, as I said, I'm always looking for how can I innovate? How can I delight the audience with the unexpected? Um, with a summer film, you have the vast landscape of all summer possibilities. And when you are doing a Christmas story, try to think of something that another writer hasn't already beat you to the punch on. And... Um, and so it is absolutely more of a challenge. Um, and, and I think I can be a real pain in the butt for my network executives while I am in process saying, um, but I've already seen that. I've already seen that. And I want to find something else. And they are fully supportive of me finding something else, but they would also like for me to finish the script. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're right. (laughs) Yeah, I have to say, last year, I honestly think, I think Lifetime did a little bit better job of finding something else. Like, they, you know, they had their, uh, as far as just thinking outside the box a little bit, like they had, 
their Nutcracker Come Alive movie. They had the girl waking up in the Irish Christmas Village. That's perfect. They had uh, had a a fairly interesting take on Christmas Carol, I thought. Just some of the different things uh, that they did that were just a little little creative and uh and so that was you know that was fun where i felt like hallmark was kind of most of them were sort of workplace romances in some way or another which is fine uh planning a party that was a big thing last year (laughs) planning the party uh and i tell you you know but um the other side of that is um because of course you know we were we were seeing um, some significant um, new storytelling elements coming into Hallmark last year, like with Christmas Everlasting. Um, and yeah. that's not just what the cast looked like, but also the content of the film. Yeah. Um, and But sure. one of the things that, um, because this goes back to that very first conversation that I had at their office, um, is this audience has given you their trust and their time and you have to tread carefully with that. You have to respect that responsibility. And part of what that means is knowing when to move the needle forward um, and introduce new storytelling elements um, or, you know, really going outside the box and trying something bold. Um, and when you you need to honor the audience's yeah. expectations when they turn on the Hallmark Channel, and and that's a very fine line, you know, yeah. um, and it's a tremendous responsibility to carry. Um, I think it's it's very distinctive for me because I came to Hallmark in 2016, which is a very specific year in American culture. Yeah. Um, and I have continued to tell these stories as the dialogue within communities um, has become a lot more fraught. And, yes. um, and people have gotten a little more um, uh, tentative about the unfamiliar. Um, People are looking for um, things that reinforce um, a sense of goodness and, and to a certain extent, predictability. Yeah. Um, people want to know that something can be dependable. Yeah. Um, and, um, and it's a curious thing being a writer for an institution like Hallmark at that time because you want to you know that you have the opportunity to promote a healing effect on your audience um, and allow people a sense of calm in a time when it is desperately needed while also looking for ways to advance storytelling and move the needle forward and get them to consider new possibilities. Um, And the only thing I can say, you know, just from my own perspective is that's something I am aware of every time I sit down to write you know yeah i i appreciate that and i think that's completely true and giving something that everybody can find some joy in i mean that's what christmas is supposed to be all about anyway and so yeah it's really funny i mean we've interviewed tons of writers and uh, a couple of them are jewish writers uh, they're trying to find there's that are trying to find all this what's the next thing that i can find out talk about to write on as far as christmas which is a really funny <laughs> dynamic <laughs> what's going on but uh but anyway yeah i really enjoyed broadcasting christmas i think i think that one's a lot of fun i think you you did a a, a nice job with that and, and then we loved a gift to remember it was on it was one of our favorites uh if not it was amber i believe favorite of that year and i just i i was wondering were you at all kind of thinking about while you were sleeping at all as kind of a sort of an inspiration at all or no or because we felt like it was kind of a little bit yeah that one was based on a book and um and so my first step in that process that was my first 
um, literary adaptation um, as a playwright or as a screenwriter. So it was my first opportunity to work with someone else's pre-existing content. And so I started at the core with Melissa Hill's book, which is delightful. And Melissa and I are Twitter friends too, but (laughs) (laughs) um, and so I felt a tremendous responsibility to honor the spirit of the author's work while recognizing I'm taking, you know, a 300 page book and turning it into an 85 minute movie. And, um, and so with that, um, there's only so much of the specific um, plot element of her novel that can transfer over because we don't have time. Um, And, and so taking um, the structure of her story and then, finding a way to give my per- myself permission to make it my own story yeah. so that I'm not just working in service of somebody else's um, book. And so the, the basic concept of how Darcy and Aiden meet and then the journey that Darcy goes on um, tracks from the book to the film. And, um, and then I had the challenge of I've got a guy with a head injury who's in the hospital for 45 minutes of my movie. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't hurt that that's your forte, though. I mean, if there's going to be somebody who's going to capture your interest for 45 minutes in a hospital, that's a good choice. My husband says he looks like Prince Eric from Little Mermaid, and now that's all I see. He does look like, oh my gosh, that's so true. If they ever do the live action, the yes. man has a gig, I swear it. You need to tell um, Lynn Miranda and all the people about that. Yeah. I don't know if he can sing and dance, but dang it, he's got time to learn. Come on. That's right. <laughs> they don't care about that in the Disney remakes anyway. Uh, Clearly. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I mean, so you're working with him again, though, in obviously in the sequel, but in uh, Roman Love as well, right? With Peter Porter? Yes, they're shooting yeah. Roman Love right now. Oh, I guess um, he's your luck, good luck charm. She really is. And that was just, that was such a stroke of good luck for us. I didn't even, I didn't even realize Peter was up for consideration for that film. Um, I knew with the project that I'm currently working on that I was writing for his voice again. Um, but uh, having him come in on Roman Love is just a, a real bonus um, because I think he's such a delightful performer and he's so endearing. Um, and, and, and dang, if he's not the most likable human being in real life too, I mean, I haven't found the reason to hate him yet, but I (laughs) believe me, I'm still looking. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it would help if he just weren't so darn ugly, you know, but. (laughs) (laughs) So, so yeah. So is that, do you know at all? Can you say, is that going to be like a, are they doing the Rome movies in, uh, in summer or do you have any idea? Um, you know, I, I never want to, uh, scoop my boss on anything, (laughs) but what, um, what I can say is, um, I am currently shooting a movie called Roman Love based on the book Roman Love by Anita Hughes. Peter Forte and Italia Ricci are our stars in that. Um, and it takes place in Italy in the summer. And that's all I can tell you. All right. There you go. Yeah, I know that. I know that. I'm not going to. I don't I'll get a tweet from Michelle so fast. <laughs> I mean, I know that uh, Julie Sherman Wolf is also working on a road movie, so I know it's a thing. So I'm waiting for that season, but. It seems like it seems like there's. It, it would stand to reason that we may have a series of movies about exciting European holidays this summer. I'm just guessing. Yes. I'm just guessing. So excited! All right, very good. You did a good job there. So thanks. You're <laughs> you're, uh, you're writing uh, you're writing the sequel to Get to Remember as we speak, right? Or yeah, you-, you know, I mean, just for fun. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, let me give you some advice 
on okay, go writing it. Hallmark sequels. <laughs> Please. Um, a lot of times I feel like they, they have the couple together. And then they kind of mm-hmm. don't know what to do next. Like people want a sequel, mm-hmm. but do they really want a sequel? And so their choice is to make things really dark and weird. And all of a sudden they, right. have, they have all of this conflict that's like too real. <laughs> like it might you are be speaking real. to my heart right now. You are speaking <laughs> yeah. so to my heart right now. Um, <laughs> I think that the the perfect bride <laughs> sequel did just about as good as I think you can do it where all of their conflict was all that came up was it never there was never a second where you believed that they were ever going to split up or they were ever going to you know there was never any like giving back the ring or anything mm-hmm. like that <laughs> it was natural conflict that's fine and but it's a tricky thing. But yeah, the going all of a sudden these sequels. They- here's the um, here's the thing I love about Gift to Remember. Um, it's all summed up in Mrs. Henley's line, "Helping others reveals the best version of ourselves." Yeah, and that more than anything else, as a writer, is what I was trying to communicate in that script. Um, that Darcy experiences um, an awakening of confidence and purpose through helping Aiden. And, And so if in the first film, our focus was Aiden is the one who is clearly in need um, and Darcy is responsible in that story for seeing him to the other side of that, Um, then the thing that I need to see in a sequel to understand how this relationship is equitable is, all right, now I've got to see Aiden step it up. He doesn't have a head injury this time. He remembers his last name. He is good to go. (laughs) And and then beyond that, there's Mrs. Henley, um, who was such a wonderful supporting influence in the first film, but she was very much working in support of her friend. And, and so in that idea of the joy of giving, then I'm looking to flip that as well. Um, where my question coming in on the sequel, which again, you know, nothing's been announced. I'm just writing it for fun. Sure. Um, was okay. This time, how can we support Darcy and how can we support Mrs. Henley? Yeah. See, because what romance novels do for sequels is they have, because you've already got the couple together in the first book. mm -hmm. So you can't, it's hard to have a sequel with them falling in love again. And so what they do is they have the, that couple will be in the next book, but really the focus is on a different couple who's also Mm -hmm. in the same town. So you'll have like the fool's gold series, like, or, you know, one of these different sort of series about, it'll be all about the romances of a baseball team or the romances of a, I don't know, just whatever group they could, a family, a lot of times they'll have, it'll be like the, the Walker saga or whatever it might be. And, uh, <laughs> and so uh, the or you'll have it all be about cowboys on a ranch in one story. Yeah. Will be about and, and so if I feel like for these Hallmark sequels, instead of going all of a sudden all dark and putting all these, this weird conflict on our couple, uh, it, it, uh, it would be better. I think if, the couple was there and we got an arc for them maybe they're planning a party or whatever and and then you have new couple coming in that they're kind of mentoring they're matchmaking or something fun and so you get that see that's that's what i think would well and what i found immensely satisfying with gift to remember both as the book and then in the eventual film um, is getting a holiday story that has a satisfying little bit of mystery to be solved. Yeah. And, um, and so that's, you know, that's engaging a completely different set of senses. Um, yeah, that's true. Um, and I wanted in the follow-up, Darcy and Aiden 
are a couple in the beginning, and I can swear to you they will be a couple in the end, and they are a couple all the way through. Um, and so, spoiler alert, we are not setting up like some false love triangle or weird fight. Um, but, and maybe because I was working on the pitch for that as I was preparing for my own wedding, I want to know them as a couple. I want right. to know them as a team. Um, and I want to see them finding the solution to whatever kind of puzzle needs to be solved in this one. I want to see how they do that together because that makes me root for them as a couple. And that's the difference for me in the first story and the second. The first is how we met and the second is who we are. Yeah. And I don't have to threaten to break them up to make you care, you know? Yes. Ah, you're nailing it. I love it. Yeah. All right. Well, before we go, I, I, we have our little, we do at the end of interviews, we call it the teen beat questions. These are just some fun. Oh, I get to do the TV questions. I'm so <laughs> These are just our fun, silly questions. And so the Amber found an issue of teen beat. So here we go. The first one, what is the best ice cream flavor? The best ice cream flavor is Jenny's ice cream in Atlanta does fluffer nutter. Ooh. And it is it is a marshmallow ice cream with a peanut butter swirl. And it is the best dang thing you ever tasted. <laughs> <That sounds laughs> and so it's good. the reason we all suffer from obesity in the South. <laughs> <laughs> well, well earned well deserved I, it's worth it all right we number, earn it we yeah. earn it dang it <laughs> <laughs> okay number two favorite color my uh favorite color is red oh very on brand that's very good okay what music are you listening to right now are you into um uh the thing I'm loving right now is Jamie Cullum. Oh, uh, he's yeah, a yeah. Scottish singer-songwriter. And I need something when I'm writing that puts me in the headspace um, of the tone of the piece that I'm working on. Okay. And Jamie Cullum at the piano is so perfect for writing a Hallmark movie. Oh. And then I don't have to listen to Christmas music in March. <laughs> Why not? I mean, come on. Uh, <laughs> because I do not live alone and there are other people's things to consider. <laughs> All right. Uh, so what's your go-to date night food? Uh, pizza. It's always going to be pizza if I'm the one choosing, which is why it's better if my husband chooses. Otherwise, you are getting pizza. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. All right. What uh, is your go-to date night activity? Go out and do. Um, we love a movie night. We love, love, yeah. love a movie night. And um, and uh, they've got, you know, the fancy theater here where you've got, like, the recliner seats and they bring drinks to your seats and, like, you know, treat you like a VIP. And that's a really great night out. I love that. That's fun. We're kind of boring. <laughs> the only, no, the only risk of those kinds of theaters is that it, I mean, I, I, I sometimes fight the sleepy problem and if i'm too comfortable it's almost a problem like i am gonna fall asleep but, but uh yeah <laughs> there's movies that put me to sleep and there's movies where i fall asleep it's a where you just scenario because <laughs> i'm so tired uh but okay so dogs or cats um oh god i have a dog and a cat um, I couldn't possibly choose between my love for each of them, but in terms of tolerable behavior, I am much more of a dog person, and my husband is more of a cat person. Oh, see, and you get along. That's that's <laughs> the perfect combination. Then, uh, okay. So, beaches or mountains? Mountains. Okay, good. I am Scottish and sunburn very easily. Okay. So the beach just isn't that interesting. <laughs> All right. Uh, suit and tie or sweats? Oh, please, sweats. Please, <laughs> please. 
Okay. If I am putting on that suit, it means that I am having to live up to somebody else's expectations. <laughs> yeah. Because I don't put on a suit to go to the dang grocery store. Like, clearly, <laughs> it's not my choice. You know? yeah. And then a tie. That's... Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Your favorite holiday? My favorite holiday? Um, probably Halloween. Mm. Um because Daniel, I mean, I always liked Halloween, but then I met Daniel, who uh-huh. loves Halloween, and taught <laughs> me how to do Halloween right. So, like, this past year, we lived, we moved up to the suburbs uh, last May, and so this is our first time living together in a proper neighborhood, uh-huh. and we were the house that gave away full-size candy uh-huh. bars. Nice. So, like, we were kings of the neighborhood. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you were. Oh, my gosh. That's so funny. I, I really like Halloween, too. I really enjoy planning my costume. And I've always said, once I finally meet Mr. Sunshine, if he doesn't agree to do couples costumes, I will be so <laughs> furious. Because I've been looking forward to that <laughs> my whole life (laughs) and i guess i mean the thing i love about it like of course everybody has their own christmas traditions right but halloween like is open to so many different interpretations yeah (laughs) and it's just it's so much fun to see what people's individual take is on what scares you that's a really broad spectrum and you'll be pleased to know that this last year he went as jaws and i went as quint and we had a real good time i'm so proud of you (laughs) (laughs) very good all right last question very difficult and you can pick one of your own no judgment what is your favorite hallmark movie you are so mean um (laughs) I mean, I feel like if I don't say one of my own, I'm not really earning my paycheck. But at the same time, oh, golly. Um, Because of, well, because of the fact that it literally changed my life, I have to say my summer press. Oh, that's cool. Really good. And Because I made some really good friends out of that as well. And that was just before Taylor Cole's moment happened yeah um and because now she is a hallmark queen and like watching her trajectory and watching the audience fall in love with her the same way we did on set has just been immensely gratifying um it's really great to see good people get the appreciation they deserve and i love having been in the early stages of that <laughs> well um, and it's yeah. it's just utah i mean that's why it's your favorite yeah and it's that's utah why. and it's utah <laughs> which again guys you gotta see utah in yeah. warm weather yeah. it's yeah. really amazing yeah it's really great well you have been a delight this has been so much fun to talk with you and i really appreciate you coming on the podcast and how, where can people find you on social media all that fun stuff yeah, so I'm on Twitter at Topher Payne. That's T-O-P-H-E-R-P-A-Y-N-E. Um, you'll get to hear any of the gossip I'm allowed to reveal about upcoming film projects. You'll also uh, hear about my stage projects, some of which um, may be very unexpected if you're only uh-huh. familiar with my Hallmark work. <laughs> um, but um, I've got plays happening all over the country, so I would sure love for people to see it. And you can go to toferpain.com and find out about everything I ever wrote. Great. We'll have that all in the description section. People definitely should check that out. And thanks again. This was really, really fun. And uh, You are the best. This was great. Well, I, uh, I will have to definitely have you on again because this was really fun. So thank you. I would love to come back and talk about movies. I can't talk about right now. Yes. Well, (laughs) definitely for sure. Really like to thank Topher for coming on the podcast. That was so much fun. He is just the best. And uh, we had a great time talking with him. So let us know what you think about uh, the things we talked about as far as rom-coms and writing and, and the different movies, all that fun stuff 
definitely share with us your thoughts. We would really appreciate it. So Easter is coming up and we have a really exciting new sponsor for the podcast that we are working with, with Russell Stover Chocolates. And they have a really cool new feature where you can build your own box of chocolates on their website for your friends and family and have the perfect Easter gift. And what could be better than that for the Hallmarky in your life? And if you're interested, check out our link of hallmarkiespodcast.com slash chocolate. And you'll really enjoy uh, building your own box of chocolates. So thanks so much to Topher again. And if you want to follow me, you can follow me at Rachel's Reviews on iTunes and YouTube. I really appreciate that. And make sure you're following the podcast at Pod all of our social media. We try to post something every single day. We love hearing your feedback and your comments and the things that we're talking about. It's so much fun. And if you're listening on iTunes, if you can leave your ratings and reviews, we really appreciate it. And if you're listening on YouTube, please give us your thumbs up and subscribe to the channel. That would be great. So thanks so much. And uh, we will uh, talk to you all later this week where we are doing our merry madness bracket with alonzo Draldi and emma from the hall remark and so you'll really enjoy that so thanks so much and we'll talk to you all later bye